Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast. It's a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with, as always, Jason Pat. Jason, what's up? I am doing better than the Bulls are right now. The Bulls are in a tough situation. They've already they're already down uh, one of their best players in Larry Markinen. They haven't had Denzel Valentine this entire season either. And now we have another injury to add to the list. The Bulls at 0-3. Will be without Chris Dunn for the next four to six weeks. Uh, injury happened in the second quarter, it appears, of the yeah, game that, against the Dallas Mavericks the other night. Here. Looks like he was driving the basket, finished a layup over DeAndre Jordan, and then look like he was just kind of backpedaling. He was uh, limping a bit, a little bit, but he stayed in the game. He came back in. He played, I think he played around 30 minutes. He ended up fouling out. He did not play very well down the stretch. The whole, the entire team didn't play well down the stretch, but he fouled out. And from what the reporting was, that uh, Darnell Mabry, the athletic, reported that they the Bulls sent him, or he when he came out, he got checked out by the Bulls medical staff. He said he felt all right. They cleared him to return to the game, but then after the game, I think he was checked out by like the Mavs doctors, and they're like, hey, maybe you should look into this a little bit more. Next day, t- uh, Tuesday morning, this morning. They do an MRI and they find out MCL sprain four to six weeks out. And yeah, that's that's bad, bad news bears for the Bulls. And I would say Dunn was the one player they really couldn't afford to lose. The golf between Dunn and the next best point guard on the roster is just incredible. I mean, now you're looking at Cameron Payne getting a huge opportunity for, you know, the next month and a half. Uh, Ryan Archie Diacono might have a chance to to earn a little bit more playing time, and maybe even Tyler Eulis, who we haven't seen suit up yet for the Jack, Bulls. Jack Harrison, too. I, I think we're going to see probably all these guys, honestly, get a chance, because just, I don't think any of these guys are probably good enough to keep the spot. Like, I know last podcast we ripped on Cameron Payne a bunch, and then he actually had a decent game. We'll talk more about that later. But then he came back out, and he was bad in the last game with Dunn back after, he missed the, after Dunn missed the first couple games for the birth of his kid. And then, like, Archie Giacchino was like, He's fine as like an end of bench guy, and then Tyler Eulis and Shaq Harrison cast offs from the Suns, who probably have the worst point guard situation in the NBA. So, like you said, huge golf between Dunn and we don't even know like how good Chris Dunn actually is yet. Like, he did not play very well yesterday, and even as much as he improved last season, he still was probably below average starting point guard. His two shooting percentage was bad. He's still an inconsistent shooter. Can't really finish at the rim, but good good defender, and he at least had showed signs of improving, but now with what they have there, it's just just kind of a hot mess. Yeah, I thought Dunn was really bad in that game against the Mavericks. You look at the numbers, 9 points, 7 assists, 4 turnovers. He fouls out uh, late in that game with 6 fouls. Only shot 4-13 from the field, 1-4 from 3. The thing that jumped out to me most about that game was that Zach Levine was at the controls for the majority of it. Levine has just been a flamethrower thus far through the first three games of the season. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, but, you know, the Bulls are at their best with the ball in his hands. So the situation that creates is that then Dunn is more off the ball. When that happens, it's like, how does Dunn impact the game offensively when he doesn't have the ball in his hands? We know the weakness in his game is his shooting. Uh, I didn't see the Mavericks pay very close attention to him at all. And when he did get the ball offensively, when it rotated around to him, it was a lot of just dribbling between his legs and not really going anywhere. So I think that uh, while the Chris Dunn injury is 
is devastating on a lot of levels. I am excited to see uh, Levine continue to handle the ball and see if he can, you know, develop a bit as a facilitator and a playmaker because we know he's a great scorer. But back to Dunn, this is just really depressing because this has been a theme throughout his entire basketball playing career. He's not been able to stay healthy. It starts going back uh, to when he entered college. He was a McDonald's All-American out of high school. Went to Providence, missed his entire first year immediately with a season-ending shoulder injury. Came back the next year, another season-ending shoulder injury. So he didn't play at all in college until his third year as a McDonald's All-American, which is pretty crazy. That was his breakout year. He ends up going back to school for his fourth year, where he eventually becomes one of the best point guards in the country. Uh, Goes on to become the fifth pick in the draft for the Timberwolves. And then, you know, last year, his first year on the Bulls, he had the injury, too, against the Warriors. Uh, it's just been a major theme throughout Chris Dunn's career that he hasn't been able to stay on the court. Your heart just breaks for him, because especially in a contract year, uh, Chris Dunn needs to prove what type of player he is. I still feel like, you know, heading into heading into this season, who knows what type of contract he's going to get? Who knows if he projects as a starter long-term, if he projects as a bench guy? Is he the point guard of the future? Is he, he a defensive specialist? It's all still so up in the air for Chris Dunn, and with him facing another injury, it's just going to be more limited available data for the Bulls to make a determination on that. Yeah, at this point, like you said, the contract after his third year up for a contract extension, like at this I, this point, I don't see how, unless he comes back and is somehow great, how he's going to get an extension next summer. Maybe, maybe he does. I don't know. But yeah, he's just, there's still just so many question marks. Because, yeah, last year he had the freak injury against the Warriors where he like, bashed his face on the ground after a, I think it was a dunk or something like that. He got hurt early in the year as well. That kept him out for a little bit. It's like, he's just been kind of in and out of the lineup and it's just never, he's had flashes. He had those, those flashes last year when he came back, when Nico was playing where he had some huge games, he had like a 30 some point game in Dallas last year. And like, he's shown some flashes, but between just his inconsistency at shooting and the injuries hasn't been able to stand the floor. Just, we still have no idea what really to make of him, which makes it tougher on the Bulls to just make a long-term decision. And just like kind of in general, with this whole young core of guys, we still have only seen through whatever, two years of this, we've seen Lowry, Levine, and Dunn on the court together for, I think it was something like 200 minutes last year, If and they were really bad. And now we haven't been able to see them together this year either because of Lowry's hurt, and now Dunn's hurt as well, and not really sure when either guy will be back. They'll probably they might come back around the same time and like maybe in a month or so. Like we'll see, I guess, how long this done injury is. Maybe Lowry's back a little sooner, but it's like just the clock just keeps getting pushed back with with these young guys. And obviously they are all still super young, but just there's certain comes a time where these guys need to play together. We need to find out what what uh, what they can do. Yeah, and that's why you know as much as I said that it'll be nice to see Levine, you know, taking the nominal point guard duties and the offensive initiator duties. We need to see if Levine and Dunn can play together because yeah. uh, there wasn't a huge sample size on that last year. We didn't learn anything from that on the Mavericks game the other night. So it's a tough situation. Uh, I really feel bad for Chris Dunn because, you know, by all accounts, yeah, there, there was that Kali report that he didn't put, in, didn't put in a lot of work over the summer. But it seems like he has the right attitude. Uh, and he's just been so snake bitten with injuries throughout his career. So it's really tough. And now, you know, the Bulls point guard situation is just absolutely abysmal. Get ready for the campaign show. More opportunities to shove it in my face. Which I know, be, yeah. As he did it. He did it in the one game right after we shit all over him. But uh, like I said, it came back down to earth. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see. Like, I mean, they 
they have him, he's probably going to get a ton of minutes. It's now, it's basically now or never for campaign. If he can't, if he stru- keeps struggling, if he can't take advantage of the situation, he might be out of the league next year. So it's like I said, basically now or never for him. <laughs> so I called him the worst point guard I had ever, the worst player I'd ever yeah. seen, worst NBA player I'd ever seen on the last podcast. That's a classic Ricky O'Donnell bit of hyperbole right there. I felt bad saying that. And you knew he was going to have a good performance as soon as the Cash Considerations podcast went up because that's the type of power me and you have, Jason. Uh, But I was out Saturday night. I couldn't watch the game. But my phone's just blowing up the whole time with people being like, oh, campaign's killing it, Ricky. You're an idiot. So good for campaign for, uh, you know, having a great game or a good game there. He had four straight baskets in the third quarter, I think. Uh, really kept the Bulls afloat for a little bit there uh, and for making me look dumb. So, you know, Marquise Teague, I guess you have the mantle now as the worst NBA player I've ever seen. Marquise Teague, and I think I mentioned to somebody else, Michael, I, I keep coming back to Michael Carter-Williams. He's just, he's That's just, kills. I, I know he won Rookie of the Year, but just like the last couple of years, the one difference I've mentioned, like campaign, although like yesterday campaign was, Go, was uh, veering into aggressively bad. Sometimes campaign is just bad, but he's just kind of there. So sometimes he just doesn't do anything. It's kind of like the first game of the year. Uh, yes, yesterday he at the beginning of the fourth quarter he took like three or four f- ugly, awful floating shots, and that kind of killed the Bulls, and that started their whole downfall in the fourth. But just with Michael Carter Williams, just remember him on the Bulls. He might be my least favorite Bull of all time. Where it's like terrible three pointers that would go off the side of the backboard. Wild drives to the basket that, and you just throw shots at the rim. It was just like, what are you doing, man? When you're when you're not only just bad, but also aggressively terrible, that just makes you stand out even more. And that's why I kind of feel like my MCW is even maybe even worse. But I don't know. It's always in like <laughs> how he's on the rock in the Rockets. Right and he's here. he he's going to be starting tomorrow because James Ennis is hurt. CP3 is suspended. So we're going to get Michael Carter-Williams starting on the team that won 65 games last year. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah, are we sure Daryl Morey is that smart if he has Michael <laughs> Carter-Williams on the team? I, I, I can't hate on Daryl Morey too much because he's like mostly like what I would love in like a Bulls GM as a guy who's just totally aggressive, always hmm. pushing boundaries and trying to get superstars as often as he can. But like this past offseason with MCW and Mello, that's been some very terrible returns so far. So... I, I don't know if it was just desperation in terms of trying to get talented guys to try to stack up with the Warriors, but that is not looking good, looking good so far for them. <clears throat> not a lot of positives for the Bulls throughout this 0-3 start to, no. to uh, begin the year, but uh, the one thing they do have going for them is the incredible beginning of the season for Zach Levine. Uh, he scored 30 points or more in each game this season. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the stats here on ESPN. And they're not coming up, so I, don't... I, I got his stats right here. Yeah, so go for it. He, so he's so Michael Jordan and Bob Love are the only other two Bulls to ever do that in the first three games. He's gone 30 or more. Those are two guys. Obviously, MJ's the goat. Bob Love is another one of the best Bulls players of all times. They both got their jerseys in the rafters. Not that Zach Levine's gonna have his jersey in the rafter. Maybe he will at some point. But he has just been just flame throwing. Just absolutely. And some of the shots he's been making the the Mavs game yesterday. He said he did like his first seven shots, and they were all just very difficult shots. Like that might be maybe not the best thing, because if he's just going to keep taking tough shots, ultimately that well might run out. But he's just taking like step back contested threes and fadeaways from the post, and just splashing everything like no rim at all. Just in, this incredible shot. He gets incredible lift on his jumper. Just one of the prettiest jumpers in the league. Overall, he's averaging he's 
I believe, second in the league in scoring. Now, he was third, but I think Nico didn't score enough, to, which is hilarious. Nikola Mirotic coming in today was, the, I think, the leading of the league in scoring, but he didn't have as good of a shooting day today. But Levine's at 32.3 points per game, shooting nearly 62% overall, 45% on threes. And he's getting to the line eight times a game and hitting those at 83%. So he added all together. 74% true shooting with a usage of nearly 31%, which is absolutely outrageous. Obviously, small sample size, but the signs of him just being a possibly elite NBA scorer are they're really good right now. 74% true shooting percentage, man. I mean, what the hell? Kevin Fergan, we're going to call him a friend of the pod, even though yeah. the pod hasn't been around long enough to really have friends. He's a friend of me and you. Absolutely. I think um, I think he's moving back to Chicago soon. Moving so. to Chicago, we'll get him on the pod at some point. Yeah. Uh, he had some good tweets today. One of them, there are 158 three-game or more streaks, like the one Levine is on right now, which means a minimum of 30 points, 55% shooting in each game since 1983-84. It's only been done by 65 players. Just crazy that Levine has done this type of high-level scoring with that efficiency. Uh, he is so talented offensively, man. And, uh, you know, I have been evaluating him and watching him since he was in college. I really liked Zach Levine when he was at UCLA do- covering the draft for SB Nation. Uh, it's not like I'm an expert on this stuff, but, you know, you have to have some confidence, I guess, in your own sort of evaluation uh, of these guys. And Levine was always a dude who jumped out to me from the first time I watched him play in college just because. The talent, I think, is so obvious. And uh, sort of my takeaway from where he's come from college when he was playing behind Steve Alford's son, Bryce Alford, at UCLA, and then going on to be the, what, 11th pick in the draft, I think, one spot behind Doug McDermott. The Bulls could have drafted, I'm pretty sure, Zach Levine out instead of Doug McDermott if they made that trade. Obviously, they had their, their eye on Doug. They really wanted Doug, and that we saw that turned out for him. Womp, yeah. womp. Another elite athlete and elite shooter, Doug McDermott. Uh, but, you know, the thing with Levine is, like, <clears throat> the things that you thought he would be good at, he has just gotten so much better at. And I don't want to make this negative to uh, to start it off, but it's, like, his weaknesses, he hasn't really improved. Like, I do think that he still has some holes in this game. Oh, yeah. I'm- you know, it shows up in the more advanced numbers. But in terms of his strengths, uh, so confident as a scorer, as a ball handler, as a shooter – extremely explosive he looks fully recovered from the acl at this point <clears throat> his first he step something is- like he shouldn't something like hold on i got it right here like 90 percent at the rim yeah he's 15 of 17 at the rim 88 percent. that is insane just the finishing just the explosion getting up in the body of defenders and being able to finish over them has just been absolutely incredible uh, the first step's ridiculous. Also, his last step of being able to launch himself off one foot, that's a big thing in the scouting community. It's like, are you a one-foot leaper, a two-foot leaper? The fact that he can leap off one foot with so much explosiveness, he just like gets up quicker before anyone else can. He also has a pretty tight handle compared to a lot of young wings. I feel like ball handling is like the number one thing young wings need to work on. Levine can go with either hand. I think he's really slithery in the lane. Uh, he can snake around the pick and roll. He's able to go left, finish left if he needs to. Uh, same thing with his right hand. He's just got a really complete offensive skill set in terms of being a scorer. I do think he still needs to see the floor better. And obviously defense, you know, could sabotage the entire thing. But 
I was talking to Jonathan Chucks, writer for The Ringer, one of my friends. I think Jonathan is one of the best eyes for the game uh, in the business. And with J- Jonathan was at the Mavericks game, I believe, last night uh, when the Bulls played Dallas. He's based in Dallas. And he said something that struck with me that I wish I would have thought of myself. He said that, you know, it's time you guys stop lumping Jabari and Levine together. It's like, you know, it's it's just been so easy to talk about, well, Jabari and Levine, they both signed big deals over the summer. They're both bad at defense. They're both score-first players. They don't deserve to be lumped together. Levine, Levine is, is such a stunned. higher level, yeah. A like, much higher level. So uh, from now on, at least on the Cash Considerations podcast, we're dropping the Jabari and Levine. If anything, <laughs> it's Levine, dot, 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 Jabari. Yeah, because like even like we watched Jabari had like a nice scoring game yesterday. It ended up being team worst minus eleven because of terrible defense in the terrible fourth quarter. But even like Jabari is getting his buckets, like just kind of dribbles into tarred mid range shots. It just kind of looks like he's laboring out there. Like it just there is a huge gulf. Just I feel like obviously Jabari came into the league as what, what just super talented player, but just like what the weight he's carrying himself at the ACLs. They're like just a complete gulf now between them, those two guys offensively. I totally agree. Uh, you know, Levine looks like a keeper. And at this point, if you're evaluating the Bulls' rebuild, it's like, you know, Levine's not a perfect player, certainly by any stretch. But I remember when they were playing the, the Sixers that first game, I thought, you know, the Sixers could really use a player like this. Just a lot of teams can. It seems like the league in general is just in a dire need for guards who can shoot. Uh, who have that type of athleticism. Obviously, he'd have to play within himself a little bit more on a good team. He's almost in a a good situation for himself on the Bulls being trash because I think Levine wants to be that type of alpha, that type of lead scorer. That's his mindset. Uh, If he was on a really good team like the Sixers, you know, at best he'd be the third option. It's like, is that really the type of role he wants to play? At least early in his career, I think that, uh, you know, he wants to establish himself as a guy who can go out and get 25 points a game. You know what? If he does it on this type of efficiency, he's a super valuable player, and he might even be an all-star in the East. Yeah, I mean, if he puts up whatever, if he stays at 25 to 30 game, he probably will be an all-star in the East just by virtue of the scoring. Even if, like, I don't, people don't care about, like, the advanced numbers as much. Like, I guess some do, but, like, for, like, all-star voting. And I was also wondering, especially after Dunn's injury, I tweeted something about, like, can Zach Levine win like most improved player on a team that wins 20 games? Yeah. I mean, hell dude, I hope they win 20 games. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. that, that would be really good for their tank chances uh, in general. But of course this is the year when uh, having the worst record does not guarantee you a top four pick anymore. I don't think so. Uh, that's just a whole nother subplot that we have a lot of time to talk about and we don't need to worry about yet. I think what we should talk about right now is the defense. The defense has obviously been one of the, uh, you know, biggest storylines of the season so far. It's been the biggest thing to me and the Bulls being 0-3. Uh, people like me and you, and even people much smarter than us, were trying to prepare Bulls fans throughout the entire offseason for just how shitty this defense is going to be. Did we do it justice, or is this defense even shittier than we could have ever comprehended? Because, god damn, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, we, I feel like most, like us, we suggested it would be probably like bottom three, bottom five, or another 27th in defensive rating. Because, I mean, the scoring in all, in all that is up around the league. Like, you, every night you're seeing scores in like the 120s, 130s. Yeah. Part of that just has to do with pace, increased three pointers, 
some of it's just bad defense, but like the Bulls are a legitimately terrible defensive team. They they they're giving up 41 three-pointers a game, which some of that is function of who teams they're playing, but like they just can't guard the three-point line at all. They they can't they can't switch, they get they can't communicate, they get lost, they they die on screens. And like we met we talking we've talked about Levine as good as he is offensively. That's one of his big issues defensively is he dies on screens. He gets lost too often. There was a play in the Mavs game yesterday where it was early in the game where he just stopped guarding Wesley Matthews at the three oh, point. Yeah, I know this he, like, did you see that? He like got turned around. Wesley Matthews just like kind of flared out to the wing for a wide open three pointer because Levine had no idea where he went and wide open three. Like that kind of stuff is just happens too often. And it's not just Levine, it's the entire team just has no idea what they're doing. Jabari's obviously really bad on that as well. There was a, I can't, I think can't remember who tweeted this highlight, but I, I, I remember in real time it happening. I think it was Sam Vecini of the Athletic tweeted it just on Jabari. The Mavericks were making their fourth quarter run, and Maxi Kleber was like tearing them up. He goes out to the for the to the wing for a three pointer. Jabari, there was a switch, and like Chris Dunn was caught down on DeAndre Jordan, but then Jabari for like no reason just kind of kind of helps down off a shooter on the wing and just way late getting out there. And just like that's it's been happening over and over again where guys get wide open three pointers, whether it's transition, whether it's in the half court, they just have no idea what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I remember that West Matthews play. I think the thing there is that Levine was they were like cross switching. Like Levine was guarding Doncic for the majority of the game. Uh, and then you know that was like a transition opportunity and he got stuck on Matthews and he was just a just ball watching horrible. Yeah. That's a big thing that, you know, the Bulls need to improve on defensively. It's just like focus, guys. It's like remember when Thibodeau used to say everyone was on a string? Obviously yes. the Bulls defense these days just schematically is much different from what it was during the Thibodeau years. But uh the key to playing good defense at any level of basketball is like everyone helping each other out. Even if you're just playing pickup. Like this is just the most basic level of defense and basketball Effort, rotations the getting bulls, hand up the bulls just don't help everyone out it's like everyone seems like they're out there wanting to be like well my guy didn't score or like i did it's like no dude like you have to leave and help out like this is just how it works uh or if your guy does score on you it's like well we'll just get him back on offense like that's the type of defensive attitude that's permeated through the team and, you know, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Hoiberg in general because I don't think he's really gotten a fair shake with the Bulls uh, in terms of the type of roster the front office has given him. I think, you know, he's not a dummy by any stretch. Like, I do think that he gets some, uh, some like, important concepts for the game. And the way he handled the Jabari situation, I thought, uh, to this point, looks pretty wise as well, getting ahead of that early and, uh, you know, standing up for himself to his front office early in the season. But... Man, Hoiberg, dude, you got to do something about this defense. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, teaching the principles a little bit more or figuring out something to do with the switching or how you're going to defend ball screens. The Bulls are going under screens constantly and just leaving wide open threes. Uh, It seems like none of these guys know who they're guarding when they get in any sort of fast break opportunity. It's a disaster, man. Yeah, it is. I, but I just, like, as much as Hoiberg, like, teaches these guys, and that, obviously he's an offensive coach, not really a defensive guy. They, they have defensive coaches on the staff. Like, as much as they teach these guys, like, I just don't know if they have the personnel to be even, like, an average defensive team. Like, unless 
Oh, Wendell is so young, and he's made some nice plays at the rim. Had a really nice uh, challenge of DeAndre Jordan. Had a few nice blocks in the Pistons game. But like when you're out there running lineups with, and now with Dunn out too, obviously that makes it way worse. But if you're gonna be having like lineups with Payne, Levine, Parker, Portis, like I just don't know what you're really supposed to do with that. Like I they they just I guess have to try really hard and hope to not get lost all the time. But when you have just so many guys who are just like naturally bad at defense, I just don't know what what you can really do. I totally agree, and it goes back to the front office, and it's why I don't have a ton of faith in this rebuild, to be honest, because it's like same people in charge, but that's spinning it too far forward. I mean, the Bulls are going to have some opportunities, and hey, man, uh, with these early season injuries, you know, one of the things you saw on Twitter today when the Dunn injury was announced was like, the tank is back on. It's like, guess what, guys? The tank never went anywhere. This team's 0-3. They fucking suck. They're bad. They're not even trying to tank. They're just bad. That's what I wrote in my season opening column. Like, you did. You did. You you saw this coming. I was a little more optimistic than you. I know when we talked about making like projections for the year, I thought they'd win in the mid thirties. Who knows? Maybe the, the these guys will come back with the injuries and get lucky. But that means they'd have to stay totally healthy. But like so many, there were some people who were just like really optimistic about some of these guys, and like, oh, this team could be a playoff team. Blah blah blah. Well, it's like we had hold our horses like. None of these guys are proven players. Like they're gonna suck defensively. Like you need to chill out with some of these super optimistic picks. And now we're seeing that like some of the issues here. It's t- hard to judge them when you when you're missing key guys like Lowry and now Dunn's gonna be out again. But like some of these those problems are gonna be there no matter what, even no matter if everyone was healthy or not. So like they've got a long way to go before we can actually take them seriously as even like a playoff contender, which probably will not be this year, almost certainly. And who knows if they'll even have it last year. Like, there's no guarantees this team actually moves forward and, and is actually good with this core. Like, there's nice pieces, but there's still a lot, a lot, of, room to, a lot of room to go. I mean, the Magic haven't made the yeah. playoffs since they traded Dwight Howard, and they're in the East, too. So, yeah. it's like, sometimes these rebuilds, uh, they're not all they're cracked up. Yeah, sometimes they look great. Like, oh, we have these athletic players, these oh. young, fun, talented players, Aaron Gordon, some of the guys the Magic have wheeled in and out there, and they they had Victor Oladipo, and it just goes nowhere. And it could it, it could happen for the Bulls. They could keep getting injuries, none of these guys develop, and they just end up spinning their wheels. Obviously, we're not rooting for that. We hope that doesn't happen. But for right now, we have to be, especially with the way the season has started with these injuries and just the play of some of these guys, it's kind of, it's, the skepticism is warranted. Yeah, and it's like we have a lot of haters Jason, me and you, yeah. people come at us pretty often. You know what? We welcome it. I'd like yeah. to think. Uh, and it's totally fair. I mean, a lot of this stuff is more nuanced. It is really nuanced. And it's like, you know, me and you are pretty loud with our negative opinions. But here's the thing. It's like, why do we do that? I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for we, myself. We expect it's better. Like front office faces no accountability from ownership, right? It's like the ownership doesn't really care. So they have no accountability. Meanwhile, in the mainstream media, you have people like David Kaplan, who I think is a nice guy. I really respect David Kaplan a lot. But David Kaplan's going on TV every day and like making bets that the Bulls are going to make the playoffs this year. It's like, dude, no, they're not. They're garbage because they're run by idiots and they're not going to be good. So it's up to people like the fans and to fringe members of the press, like me and you, to come at them. And that's why the fans funded a Fire Garpax billboard. That's why when I write my season opening column, it's like, 
this team blows. They have no hope as long as they are still run by these same idiots. Uh, and yeah, it's like I'm rooting for him. I do think there's a chance they could pull it off. Levine looks pretty good, and Levine just makes some incremental improvements. Yeah, and I, I love Lowry. Is, I got yeah, all that Lowry. I know, I know you love Wendell. So, like, they, they got some nice pieces there. But, again, nice pieces don't always turn into a coherent team, coherent contender. And they obviously need several more parts. It's a legit – they need some guys to turn into superstars or get a superstar. Like, just a long way to go. And especially on a day like today with Chris Dunn going to be missing all this time, it feels so much longer away. You know what would be super fucking awesome, Jason? If the Bulls got the first pick in the draft and whoever they drafted turned out to be as good as Jimmy Butler, that would be sick. Yeah. Like, R.J. Barrett was as good as Jimmy Butler? I mean, hell yeah. That would be really good. That would be huge if, for the Bulls. Okay, so, like... Oh, shit, I, they already had Jimmy Butler. Like, if, uh... If... I don't... I guess I don't want to... Don't know if I want to go this far today, but just... Why not? Since people are talking about the tank being back on, we'll... You can... We'll briefly go over this. If they got the first pick, who would you take right now? Yeah, I like Zion, but obviously the college season hasn't started yet. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny because when I, I – so covering the draft for SB Nation, I always do the 2000 – you know, the, the next year's mock, mock draft. Right after the draft. Yeah. Yeah. This is a staple for me. I did have Scalabissier and Manuel Moutier as number one overall picks. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've had some hits too. I think in general my early views at the draft stack up pretty well. Uh, I was really high on Jaron Jackson last year, higher than the consensus for the mock drafts were. He's looked really good so far from what I tell. So uh, I think in general, I'm pretty proud of how I've done over the years. And, you know, it's all out there. So if you if you want to find it, you can Google my name in those early mock drafts and you can roast me for it if you want to. Old takes exposed whatever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had Cam Reddish as number the number one guy. Now, he's probably the third most touted freshman at duke this year he did not play in their canadian preseason trip uh i think reddish is so naturally talented he reminds me of tracy mcgrady in the sense that people sort of question his twtw his will to win his hawk back but it's just like he got bored playing against high schoolers because he was six nine he had the ball on the string as a ball handler you could shoot it off the dribble or the catch really athletic and gliding to the basket just like really really smooth smooth is the word that uh comes to mind for him. And he also played point guard in high school at West Town High School, played with Mo Bamba when he was a junior. Bamba was a senior. It's a prep school uh, up in Pennsylvania. So would love Reddish. I think he'd be a great fit with this team. I have Bamba as the number one guy, or not Bamba, uh, Zion is the number one guy at the moment, just because I think that, you know, he's such a unique player and he's so much more than a dunker. When you see how high his feel for the game is and how strong his off-the-ball defense is, his shooting is the only thing holding him back. Uh, and in the Bulls, he'd be in a little bit of a positional crunch with Wendell and Lowry. In the front court, I do think he handles it enough to be an initiator offensively and to uh, play more on the perimeter. And Barrett's great, too. So any of the Duke guys or uh, Nas Little from North Carolina, those are the four names you want to watch in the draft. They're all wings. They'd all be great fits for the Bulls this year, um, for, you know, for this tank. So... Uh, those are the names you need to keep an eye on. If the Bulls get the fifth pick, I don't know who the hell they would take. So they really need to get top four. All right, there you go. Uh, yeah, because one thing I've so like, I feel like the Bulls. We talk about like outlines. They have pieces. They like have like an outline of. They have a front court of the future. They have Levine's looking pretty good, like a long term piece. We talked about Chris Dunn. We're not so sure about him, but 
They clearly badly need a two, a legit stud two-way wing who can just bring it both ends of the floor. Maybe they don't have to be like a total bona fide, like whatever stud score. If Levine's going to score like this and if Lowry's a really good score, maybe you don't need an actual like alpha score. But like you need somebody who could just defend the hell out of, like basically, I guess, a Jimmy Butler or like a little lesser Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Butler. Jimmy Butler would be great on this team. A guy, a free agent. a guy who I guess wouldn't maybe be as disruptive or ball stoppy, whatever you want to, whatever negatives you want to say about Jimmy Butler. I guess like a little less version of that. But you know, clearly, just the Bulls need that type of player. Hopefully, if they can get a guy like that through the draft, or I was looking at next year's free agency. Like I was looking at, I don't think they're going to get anybody in free agency, especially if they're really bad. But like I was having my, had my eye on Chris, a guy like Chris Middleton, a player like that, basically. And obviously, I don't think they're going to get Chris Middleton or any of those really good players, but a player like that, essentially, <laughs> they need it. Yeah, they should sign Jimmy Butler. Let's start that. Train on the Cash Considerations podcast. Hashtag right. you, are, you are still Mr. Jimmy. You are all all aboard the corny Hollywood Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he's corny as hell. I'm not saying I want to like drink beers with him and like play 2K and you know hang out. Into, uh, uh, Florida Georgia Line concerts. No, yeah, I don't do any of that. But uh, he's. He's good at basketball, and yes, and he I, like he's been. You know who I miss, Jason? Who? Etwan, Nico, Dinwiddie. I miss them all, Jason. It is kind of funny, just like the talking about outlines, like a decent team that they could have had. Like, imagine a team with. I mean, it would not have actually won anything. So, like, some people will say, "Well, then, what's the fucking point?" But like, Dinwiddie at the one. Uh, I'm I'm writing this column, so no one steal it. But yeah, I mean, Dinwiddie or Rondo at the one you sign, yeah, Jimmy, Nico, and then whatever Rolo or some big man like, and that's not a great team, but I feel like it's a team that could like if I if optimized correctly, like I could probably win. Could have been like a fifty-ish some team win team and lose to LeBron in like the second round. It could yeah, have been like, well, here's the other thing, too. It's like, so then if you don't sign Wade, maybe you're signing, like, Eric Gordon, like, getting another guy. He was a free agent that year. Uh, and it's like, you know, draft Gary Harris. Yeah, Gary Harris has turned into a complete stud. The Nuggets are awesome. The, they just moved to, like, 4-0 this year, and Gary Harris is putting up really good numbers. He's really developed into a nice player. Dude, they had a good team right under their fucking nose, and they're, they were too yeah. dumb to see it. Yeah, just uh, yeah. I I don't know. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna write that comment at some point, but it's a shame because you know this rebuild might end up being the right call totally. Yeah. But I like people get so excited about tanking, and tanking is a long and trash process. Yeah. I mean, like even if they get the first pick in the draft next year, how good is that guy gonna be? And then how long is it going to take for everyone to gel together? Right. I mean, you're still drafting another 19-year-old at the end of the day. So, yep. uh, you know, I mean, maybe the Bulls will, will raise the 2026 banner and then, you know, we'll be idiots for wishing that they could, uh, you know, field a 50-win team in the East. The other thing, too, is, like, th- maybe they could trade for Kawhi at that point. You know what I mean? It's like if you have a good team in a good situation, yep. you can swing a trade like these other teams. That's what, that's what I mentioned I, like Daryl, a guy like Daryl Morey, even if he's made every GM makes mistakes, but just the outlook and just like the 
aggressiveness, just somebody that's always looking to whatever to do stuff innovative, always looking to make aggressive moves. Like that's the kind of stuff that like we've been wishing for. Just if you have one good player, you try to turn that into two great players, and then maybe you then get another great player on top of that, and you make your own. Maybe not super team, but a really damn good team that has a chance to at least contend. I know if you want to say, oh, well, makes it doesn't mean anything with the LeBron or the Warriors, like, whatever, man. Like, I want to watch good basketball. I want to watch the team be good. Ultimately, like, I feel like the fact that they did end up trading Jimmy and they pulled the plug when they did, I think was fine because it was also fucked by the, after the, by the Wade deal. Year. The Wade deal screwed them. Yeah. Like, Without the was, Wade deal, they probably don't trade Jimmy. Yeah, it was also screwed from there where I think it totally made sense to pull the plug, especially if Jimmy, whatever, they had issues with the attitude, whatever, blah, 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 like whatever. But like it was all the stuff before that is what screwed it up. And it's why the front office shouldn't still have their jobs, but they're going to get to see this rebuild through probably unless things go to go to complete crap. Like I wonder, like, I guess like if the Bulls, so like, I guess if the Bulls do whatever, tank, whatever this year, they win 20, 25 games, I mean, if they're if injuries screw them over or part of the screwing them over, like does Hoiberg get his fifth season? Is oh, he Hoiberg will is he not gone soon. He he won't finish the season. I'll make that bet right now. I mean, Hoiberg especially like did, the All Star game. He didn't mention this earlier when we were talking about Levine. The kind of the shots that he took at it seemed like they were at Hoiberg after the game yesterday. Uh, stuff about play calling and they weren't running the right sets. Like you could have interpreted those at possibly as shots at teammates or Hoiberg. So I guess either way, it's not the best. I mean, I think it's kind of hilarious and entertaining that he did it, which, I mean, totally fine, whatever. If it need, if, I mean, it's kind of funny because Jimmy did the same thing with the Coach Harder stuff a couple years ago, and now game three and Levine is talking about how they're not running the right sets and play calls at the, in, at the start of the season. So, like, I feel like that, that is this and the injuries – and if they keep struggling on defense, might be a precursor for Hoiberg being gone sooner rather than later. Here's a couple quotes from Zach Levine. I didn't actually see these full quotes. This is the first time I'm seeing it uh, right now after the Mavericks game. Tweet from Casey Johnson. How does Zach Levine feel the Bulls are recognizing the hot hand? This is hilarious because Levine is just on freaking fire against Dallas. Quote Zach Levine. I think we have to do better at it. And then Casey continues, he feels so strongly about it that he repeated his answer. Here's another tweet from Casey. Zach Levine at first disagreed and then agreed with Fred Hoiberg's assertion that the Bulls lost their composure. Quote, Zach Levine, I'm not putting it on Fred. We have to figure it out. You can tell I'm upset we lost, and I think we could have won. We have to figure out how to win. Uh, Levine was hitting some unbelievably tough shots in that game. It's like his tough shot-making ability is really impressive and valuable and incredible. Uh, imagine him in sort of like the Kyrie role next to a LeBron, just like sort of being that, you know, the offensive supernova who can take the pressure off more of an all around player. I think that that is like Zach Levine's ideal situation. Uh, now here's the hard part, Bulls find your LeBron, but, uh, you know, he's not going to keep hitting shots like that. It's like, I always say, it's like, he's almost a victim of his own talent because, he, because he can hit these really impossible shots that literally no one else can hit, he's like conned into taking them when they're not going to be sustainable. But I can't be ripping Zach Levine in this episode of Cash Considerations. Yeah. He's sick, and I love Zach. Yeah, Levine. I'm not even really, I'm not even really criticizing. Yeah, I'm not really even criticizing for these comments. Here's another one. This was because I think it was Cowley who had the first 
quotes I saw of this. And here's from, from his column yesterday. He said, we got to run the right sets out there. That was the main thing. If we would have run the right plays, got the ball to the right people, I think we would have been all right. And then he had all the other – he had kind of uh, kind of backed off, like you kind of mentioned. He, then he's like, oh, it wasn't Fred's fault. He t- looked at himself as well. He obviously made some mistakes on the stretch. But it was just kind of funny. Just like it's we're already at a point where Hoiberg's coming under some fire for – or play calling and the defense stinks overall. It's just like, I wonder if, how long Fred's going to last if this thing doesn't turn around quickly. Wait, let's, let's throw a date out there. Maybe this is a topic for another podcast, but we're already going along. Uh, what, what, like, do, do you think he gets fired this year? I do. I really. Like, you guys in like 2018 or like this season? This season. And I'm going to say it happens. Uh, Christmas. Come on. Christmas. Bull, yeah, back. Christmas firing. I'm all about it. Because, uh, uh, there, there's a brutal. It might be might be December where they have a really brutal part of their schedule. I feel like it's maybe December or January where. Let me actually let's let's pull this up here. The Bulls schedule because if, if obviously with Dunn and Lowry out now, and if they lose a bunch of games, even when Dunn and Lowry come back, if they're going through just like a, a brutal schedule, um, when they're just coming back from injury like that, they're going to be rusty. They're going to struggle and like. That is probably a recipe for disaster. I mean, I guess even the schedule coming up is pretty brutal. After this week, they got the Warriors and Nuggets next week, two home games, and then the Pacers-Rockets. I mean, that's that's four games where that could be looking real bad. They got the Pelicans coming up at early November. Let's see. They got a stretch in, no, in November where they play Celtics, Bucks, Raptors back-to-back-to-back. So, like, I don't – I mean – Ugh. And then here's a here we go. Here's early. I think this is the stretch I was thinking of. Early December to start the month, they go or I guess fr- starting Friday, November thirtieth. Or you can even go back to the Bucks. I don't even go back further here. After they play the Suns on November twenty first, they play the Heat and then the Wolves and then the Spurs, then the Bucks and the Pistons, Rockets, Pacers, Thunder, Celtics. Like that's a pretty brutal fucking stretch, and like. So you're looking at mid-December there where the team could be way under 500 and it could be like around a December firing if things go as like they, they may look given the schedule. Where's their first win going to be? Their next two games are both against I think, I think one. I think they'll win one of the games this week. The, they got a couple – they got a home-and-home home with the Hornets. The Hornets – Kemba's awesome, but like overall they're just okay. They have – Atlanta's bad. I know they beat the Cavs, but the Cavs are really bad too. So they're going to Atlanta this weekend. So I feel like in the next, I think they'll get at least one of these games. But then, like, besides that, they got a ton of losses staring them in the face. Like, even if they win two of these upcoming games, which would be a huge stretch, I feel like, given what's on the roster right now, then, like, they got the next week of Warriors, Nuggets, Pacers, Rockets. Like, that's four losses in a row. Then they go to the Garden. Then the Pelicans at Pelicans. Maybe... Say if they if they somehow haven't won one by then they play the Cavs November tenth at home, so like we might be looking at like three four wins by mid November, if that. Yeah, and the Hornets. I mean, they're two and two at this point in the season. Uh, two. They got a home and home against the Hornets, and then at Atlanta. So <laughs> the Bulls are going to win anytime soon. Yeah, they got to win one. They got to win this week. I figure they uh, tomorrow will be a decent chance. Like home game they played the Pistons tough even without Dunn and Lowry like 
Hornets are a team that aren't that can easily lay an egg. So like I feel like they maybe grab one of these Hornets games, and then the Hawks are bad. It is a road game that could be be tough just because of the road game. The Bulls did play pretty well against some tank against some of the bad teams last year, but that was with some a bit more of a healthier roster. So like I I don't even it, it's hard to say at this point with the guys they have on this team and with their shitty defense. It's almost never no. Uh, do we have anything else we want to hit on? Should we wrap this up? Uh, I'm trying to think if, I mean, like, so we, there's, is there, I'm trying to think if there's anything else from like the games that we just saw. I mean, we, t- we talked about the defense, like we've already gone 45 minutes here, but basically, you know, if you want a, a two game wrap up of the last two games, since the last essential cash considerations podcast, uh, the Bulls didn't guard Blake Griffin at all. Blake Griffin just ran around him, ran around the Bulls, uh, Jabari Parker, most notably also Bobby Portis. Like, they were folding chairs. Yeah, and I guess and there was the big conversation after that Pistons game about leaving Portis and Parker together on the floor at the end of the game, and Hoiberg's explanation was total bullshit. About he was like, oh well, I really like that lineup. They got us back into the game. Pistons had that game won with like two minutes left, and then they fouled campaign on a three, and then there was another bogus foul. Reggie Jackson had one of the stupidest fouls in NBA history. Basically, gave them two free throws for no reason. So like, Hoiberg's explanation for keeping that lineup on the court when they were getting absolutely torched was ridiculous. For defense possession, you need to have Wendell Carter out there. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Even if you keep Jabari out there, fine. Have Wendell out there instead of Portis, or have Portis and Wendell. You got to do it. Just I, what, there's no guarantee that Wendell stops that play either. But like, put your best defenders on the floor in a situation where you need one stop. I mean, come on. Totally agree with you, Jason Pat for Bulls coach. That's what I say. Uh, that was a disaster. And you know, for as much as I want to give like a little bit of sympathy for Hoiberg when he does stuff like that, he doesn't deserve. Yeah, it. just basic decisions where like there's just really. No reason to do it. Like I think Wendell only played like 18 minutes of that game. I know he had some foul trouble, but he also had a really nice third quarter. He had a really nice block. And he had another almost block. It's like just get the guy, get the guy on the floor. Just in the key situations, and especially like when you're a team like this, a young team where he's one of your building blocks. You want him out there in those key situations to learn, get a learning experience. Even if he does get burned. You learn from it, and you hopefully get better. So to have him on the bench there just made no sense to me. Right. Him getting confidence is much more important than Jabari getting confidence. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean? If you want to play that card. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the game last night, I guess on, on Monday night against the Mavericks, Bulls lose 115-109. This is how they fell to 0-3. Uh, that was the game. Levine was a straight flamethrower. Jabari, very good offensive game, too. 8-14 from the field, 20 points, 2-3 on threes. Uh, there, there Jabari, was some... Jabari actually showed some nice effort in the first half. I thought he had a couple of plays, offensive rebounds he was going after, created a couple extra possessions and got extra buckets for himself. I know he did get hot shooting some mid-range jumpers, but I mean that's the kind of shots that he can make when he's not hitting. There, he's a disaster offensively, but when he's hitting, he can do stuff like yesterday. It kind of fell apart for him in the second half. Like I mentioned earlier, I think he still finished like a team worst minus eleven because the defense fell apart in the early part of the fourth quarter, and he just kind of kind of slunk into irrelevancy, but at least there was some pulse from Jabari in that first half, so even with effort on both ends, so at least that was kind of nice to see. He just got to put a full game together and consistently bring the effort. Totally agree. I was really impressed with Luca. I thought Luca's, yeah. number, I thought Luca's numbers didn't do justice to his performance. He, he had, had a, 19 points, 6 assists. Yeah. 
seven fourteen from the field, so a good stat line. But <clears throat> particularly in that second quarter, I felt like Luca was sort of dominating the game. Like he had that one alley oop he threw to Dennis Smith that Levine actually made a very nice defensive play to to bat it away. That was like a transition opportunity. Uh, Luca kept doing these like hidden ball tricks to I think he did one to Holiday and he tried one later in the game. He tried one on I think Wendell, but I think he had called for a travel or yeah. something like that. But yeah, he was doing goofy stuff. He was hitting step back threes. He had a couple, I think, step back threes like halfway down and out. So he was really close to like a 25.6 assist line. He was really impressive. And uh, there were a few moments uh was oh actually kind of going in the same direction where uh, we actually saw Chandler Hutchinson play. Hutchinson actually had some nice moments. One great finish. Yeah, he had a good finish. He had some decent moments guarding Luca on the perimeter. He played 18 minutes, so it was finally nice to see him get some playing time after not being in the rotation in first, the first couple games, which just didn't make any sense without Denzel with Denzel out already. Like, play your first-round pick on the wing, dude. Just like, please. So it was nice. it was nice to see him get some early minutes in the first quarter and then play a bit more throughout the game and do a few nice things defensively, the nice drive. So that was nice to see. Um, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. I guess Wendell had, a, like I mentioned, that big, that nice play against DeAndre. He struggled with his shot. He was all right across the course of the game. He's learning. We talked about this after the Sixers game. Like, he's had some really tough matchups to start the year. When you go from Embiid to Drummond to DeAndre Jordan, like, that's kind of like a, that's a murderous row of big men to go against. So that's, it's really tough. So, I think that's it's basically about it from these last couple games. I don't know if you had any other takes. I don't. Oh, and three. It's going to get much worse. People. Oh, and three. Not getting any better. Chris Dunn is hurt. Is out at least a month. Lowry's still out for a while. Buckle in. Strap up. Strap it in for that tank, man. Because it's it's we might be going full steam ahead here. Uh, biggest loser of the week. I'm going to say, so biggest winner of the week, Levine. Yeah. Totally. He's trending up. Good job, Zach Levine. Keep doing it. Biggest loser of the week, I'm going to say me and you for starting a Bulls podcast in a year where they're going to win like 10 games. <laughs> Maybe that'll make it more fun. I don't know. We just Maybe we just stop watching and we just like, just complain. Do takes without even like knowing what's actually yeah. happening. And Those just, are the purest takes. I'm, yeah, I'm sure... And all the people that like hate us for being negative, I'm sure they'll just love to listen to us just be firing off just hot take after hot take about how they're the worst. But I mean, I guess they might be the fucking worst. So maybe we might still be, uh, still might be legitimate to do that. Uh, I'm get, I'm trying to get John Paxson to quit before the end of the year. That's my goal. I got a couple <laughs> I'm more. Pretty bombs. sure, uh, pretty sure our guy Matt from uh, Bulls Blogger who's been doing a great job at Bulls Blogger for a long ass time now. I think he's I think he's been trying to pull that off for years now and it hasn't worked yet. Maybe maybe we'll finally be able to do it. I got a couple more bombs to drop throughout the season uh on the Bulls article wise, but I'm not going to let those go just yet, but uh you know what? Spread them out. Spread them out. Spread them out, but at the end of the day, I feel like there needs to be some accountability and yeah. you know as long as they keep nailing draft picks they're going to be okay, but we'll see. Uh, we always talk such big picture on this podcast, but I guess, you know, if you're going to follow a team like the Bulls, we're going to win 20 damn games this year. You might as well. I mean, it's just so hard, especially when you have these big injuries like this and you just like, you naturally go into situations like, well, they looked like they're fucked. So now we're just going to have to talk about tanking and big picture stuff again. It's just, it's tough. It would be nice to just nail in on some smaller good stuff that happens, but when you're 0-3 and you got to, Brutal injuries happening, like, 
What else are you going to do? The Chicago Bulls, 18-19. It looks like they're fucked. That's the <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, for Jason, I'm Ricky. This has been the Cash Considerations Podcast. Thanks for listening. Later. Bye.